Before we get into episode 44 with Hannah, I've just got some quick housekeeping. As always, I want to give a huge thank you to our patrons who make this show possible. It's because of your incredible generosity and support that I'm able to do what I do. Thank you so much. And I want to give a very special shout out to our patron at the Lothal tier, Simon. If anyone would like to join our patron family, you can get access to some awesome benefits, like our patron Discord server and monthly Star Wars trivia nights, stickers and a bonus show, automatic entry into our bi-monthly merch giveaways, and much more. So if you're able, you can support this show for as little as $3 a month at patreon.com slash outerrimreads. Now for our searcher reading segment. Last episode's question was... We have seen a large emphasis so far on the unity and togetherness among the Jedi in the Hetzal system, especially given Master Chris's meditation connecting herself to the beings around her. Do you think the mission would fall apart without Master Chris's unique ability? Would the Jedi stand a chance if she was not there with them on the Third Horizon? Our patron Doug responded on Discord saying, There is one aspect of the mission I don't think would have succeeded without her. The rest? Maybe. How very cryptic of you, Doug. <laughs> As always, stay tuned for our next discussion question at the end of this episode. Now let's get into episode 44 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 44 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through Star Wars novels across the canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In today's episode, we'll be talking about chapters 10 through 12 of Light of the Jedi, and I'm joined by a co-host of Followers of the Force and a brand ambassador for Takodana Trader, Hannah. Hannah, how is it going today? Great, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me on, especially to talk about Light of the Jedi, High Republic, it, within the context of these chapters, because no spoilers. I've been putting a lot of trust in my guests to, uh, you know, because this is my first time through the books and I have zero clue. We were talking a little bit off air about, you know, uh, how that is the case, that I have no clue what's happening. I might know some names, but that's about it. So no pressure. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I love it because it's so exciting. It's like watching my some of my friends who have watched in recent years The Clone Wars, The Mandalorian for the first time. And it's just that excitement of, did you get there yet? Did you get there? And you're just like busting at the seams to talk about it. But you've just got to be patient and wait. But it's so much fun because I wish I could go back to this these books and specifically this one again and read it again for the first time. Because I remember when I read it, I was I, I like finished it at like 2 a.m. like the second day I got it. That is impressive. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like I refuse to socialize, go out. Maybe I'll eat occasionally, but like it was it just sucked me in and from the sounds that I mean you're having just as much fun. Yeah, it's been a ride. Uh you know, it is kind of a struggle that I cannot really blow through it cuz I can, I'm I'm moving with each episode. So, you know, I have only read through chapter 12 even now. Uh so it is an adventure, but I just remember when this book was coming out, you know, even still when the High Republic releases are coming out, just the excitement around these books and just how everyone's raving about how high the quality is that these fantastic writers are are dishing out, you know, as if it's no one's business. It's just like it's really been fantastic to see, but also, you know, avoiding spoilers all the while. But um you know, you had mentioned Clone Wars, High Republic, you know, kind of the Star War in general. So before we dive into what we've got today, these chapters that we've got in front of us today, could you give the listeners an idea of your background with Star Wars? You know, how you got introduced to this, you know, wonderful universe and kind of just your journey into Star Wars. Uh, and then specifically after that about Light of the Jedi. Yeah, no, absolutely. So for those of you who don't know, I did kind of grow up on Star Wars. I remember when I was like three or four, my parents plopped me down in front of the TV. We had a box set of the original trilogy and they're like, here you go. So that was most of my childhood. And I'm the oldest of four siblings. So as my siblings got old enough to start watching 
Star Wars, like I would watch it at different points in my life. And as the movies were coming out and things like that, I remember just so much hype around Revenge of the Sith when I was younger, because at the time, I think it was in fifth grade when it came out. So I do kind of, I have some vague memories of that hype and all the excitement. And my uncle um, actually used to cosplay as a stormtrooper. And if you look up the Colts trooper from Indianapolis, that's actually him. And so there was just this whole thing around Star Wars when I was younger and growing up and kind of as you do when you get older, you kind of just you kind of fall away from those interests in it. It was just kind of one of those things where I just got too busy just with, with other things and with life. Um, and I really I would, I would occasionally watch the movies kind of something like that just to give myself something to do. But I think the biggest thing that pulled me back uh, just almost last year actually was Clone Wars season seven. Um, it was a huge family affair for me and my siblings. We would watch it every Friday. Like I remember when it was on Cartoon Network, if that tells you anything, but all of my siblings and I would watch it. And like, obviously like most people were really devastated when season six ended and we're like, well, this is all we're getting. And then season seven came back. I watched it. I cried and it was just kind of it kind of just revitalized a little bit of my a lot of my love for the franchise and kind of why I really liked it. The Force Awakens really helped too. Um, say what you want about the sequel trilogy, but Star Wars has never been bigger, and I think it's mostly in part due to that and the work that was done there. So I, I just kind of threw myself back into fandom really hard last year and have gotten these incredible opportunities, like getting to talk to you today about it, and specifically with. High Republic. I remember when it was coming out, Star Wars books really never had been on my radar as like, like I love reading, but Star Wars books were just kind of one of those things where I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not like there was the legends books that really didn't matter anymore. So I was just like, okay, like I'm not going to go through this exhaustive list of things that don't matter to canon anymore. So I really was never all that interested in it. And then once they kind of announced Project Luminous and I started following people, started learning more and more about the High Republic and kind of what it was going to entail, the more intrigued I became. And I was like, this could be something really special and really different, especially with the variety of authors that we're getting. It's not just being handled by one author all throughout these mediums. It's a variety of authors, a variety of different voices. And it's set in a time period that obviously we know nothing about. We can, we've, we've heard whispers and rumors, like on the back of the light of the Jedi, it's, it has this famous quote from Obi-Wan, whereas for, thou, for a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were guardians of peace and the Republic. I probably just manhandled that quote horribly, <laughs> but you just, you see it and you're like, yeah, they've existed for thousands of years, but what the heck do we actually know about them outside of the prequels, the originals, and to an extent, the sequels. And so I was like, okay, I'll give this a go. And like we were talking about off air, I i mean, or uh, that we just talked about, I can't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> time sleep is a flat circle. It's sleep, all right. <laughs> time is a flat circle. Sleep deprivation is great. But I started reading it. And then by the next day at like 2 a.m., I had finished the book because I'm just like, I can't put this down. This is the coolest thing ever. And since then, it's just been a uphill, downhill slide. It's been like a roller coaster. They play with our emotions a lot. They play with the emotions or they just kind of, Charles Soule has taken emotions and just kind of crumpled them up in his face. <laughs> I could just picture him like David Bowie from the Goblin King and Labyrinth, just holding this little glass ball, just turning it every which way, going which way, which, how much pain can we inflict today? How, yep. How <laughs> much pain seems to be it. I think a roller coaster sums up this book so far pretty well. You know, even every time that it seems like they're is hope again or like a reason to believe you know it's charles soul just like pops his head back in the room like hey did you uh did you forget this is called the great disaster just uh wanted to remind you bye and it's like <laughs> it's just i'm just been really impressed with and and we'll you know we'll talk more about this as as we get through the chapters with just how really unrelenting the pace of this book is you know we're 12 chapters in now and there's been really like zero let up you know, but it's something new each time. There's always, you know, it's it doesn't feel like it's the same. You know, the, the pain feels the same, but Charles Soule is finding these ways to introduce these. You know, there's like a new problem each time. And we'll talk about how that continues to happen in the chapters we've got in front of us today, 10 through 12. Before we dive into 10, I can give my brief summary and we can talk about the state of the situation above Hetzal. 
Aboard the Republic Longbeam, Aurora 3, Joss Adrin and his wife, Pika, try to find a solution for how to save the survivors within the hyperspace object heading straight for the fruited moon. The stakes have only gotten higher as their seek and destroy mission has transformed into a seemingly impossible rescue operation. Joss assesses his options, noting the Longbeam's mag clamps, and he considers how the four Jedi escorting them might be able to help as well. He and Pika determine that they might be able to latch onto the hyperspace object with the clamps and gradually slow it down, although they would need the help of the Jedi to make the shot. Joss contacts Master Tayami, who is on one of the accompanying vectors, and the Jedi Master agrees that she and her colleagues will do the best they can to slow the object. We're starting to see the beginnings of a solution here, because it's been nonstop, just problem after problem after problem, and we've seen some glimmers of hope, especially you know with Master Avar Chris kind of doing her thing on Third Horizon, and now we're starting to see the beginnings of a solution to you know, for, for a kind of a general plan for how the Jedi might be able to help, you know, the Republic personnel bring these objects to a halt. With Now that we know that there's living beings aboard many of these pieces of, I guess, what we can, what we know as the readers as the legacy run from the first chapter. But, you know, with this new glimmer of hope, potentially, I, I want to say that kind of with a grain of salt, what did you think about chapter 10 and kind of what's happening with Joss and Pika and, you know, finding a way out of this mess, hopefully. Yeah. So I agree with your assessment from earlier that, I mean, from the get-go with this book, it is nonstop, fast action. Holy crap. How are we going to get out of this? And I think what is done so brilliantly at the beginning of each chapter it puts you in a location, what is happening and how much time until impact. Like every chapter, you just get closer and closer and you're sitting there going, oh my God, now what? Like all of this is happening all at once simultaneously across like different things. Like you've got from the previous chapter, like Loden and Bell's um, perspective. And now you're back up in the sky with the part of the legacy run. You're like, oh, holy crap, now what? Like what else could go wrong? But in Star Wars, that's a really dangerous question to ask. Famous last words many times. Famous <laughs> last words. But no, I loved this chapter because it was one of the first times I remember being really shocked and enjoying the fact that the, for lack of a better word, normal Republic personnel are the ones coming up with these ideas being like, hey, what if we did X, Y, and Z, but we also utilized our Jedi resources and the Jedi don't immediately dismiss them because you kind of look at that particular interaction between uh, Joss and uh, Master Tayami, and I don't think something like that would have flown in the prequel trilogy. Like not to like to like bash the Jedi of the prequel trilogy, but there it was just a very different dynamic from then to now. And I know we're kind of moving backwards because in Star Wars, what is time and time is not linear. But it's just always just kind of amazed me, like in, in and again in these three chapters, just kind of like the hmm, I'm going to use another Star Wars word, symbiotic nature of the Republic and the Jedi. I like your point about how we see kind of this relationship between the Republic personnel and the Jedi really kind of come to fruition in this chapter where everyone's in this terrible mess right now. And I guess, you know, maybe in the Clone Wars, you know, that's when kind of Anakin and Ahsoka would come up with a solution and, you know, they would kind of lead the charge and things would just be better. Here, like, whether it's the Republic personnel on the long beams or the Jedi in their vectors, like, everyone's trying to find out how the hell they're supposed to fix this problem. And I really like how you're pointing out that in this chapter, it's, you know, Joss and Pika, the volunteers in this mission, who are coming up with this solution to, you know, try to fix the problem. The Jedi, like you said, they agree to go along with it instead of trying to, you know, one-up them where it's like, you know, well, I have a better idea because, you know... I've got the force, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, we really get to see really everyone working together to, to get out of this mess. Hopefully every time I just say like, oh, there seems to be hope. It's, 
you know, I've been let down so many times so far with just so much death. Uh, <laughs> You're only 12 chapters in. What a delight. Exactly right. There's, it can only go up from here or just straight downward. Straight down. <laughs> um, but, you know, understandably, you know, at the beginning, Joss is under a lot of stress here. You know, he's thinking about how it was hard enough to shoot these things down, you know, going close to light speed, you know, it, you know, through the system. And it's hard enough to get a, a clean shot off. But now they have to find a way to stop them or at least slow them down to save these people aboard. And, you know, he's he's in a tough spot because he's thinking that if I get it right, you know, people are going to be celebrating this like they did amazing, you know, the work that they did. But then if they get it wrong and he fails, he'll be one of the people to blame. So it's really like not a great spot to be in, especially as, you know, a com he's, he's not a soldier. He's like a, a commoner you know, a common person in the Republic who has volunteered on this mission. And it's really right off the bat, we see that really playing out in his mind where he's like, what do I do? Either I'm going to be celebrated as a hero or blamed by everyone for letting these people die. And it's just, it's not an easy situation at all for him to try and work out. Yeah, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Exactly. You know, and <laughs> the stakes are soaring if they weren't already high enough. <laughs> Absolutely. He starts to think about his wife. Uh, you know, and, and there's this wholesome line here that I just want to read of, of when he's thinking about his wife, Pika. He thinks about her as, quote, second in command of the Aurora Three and first in command of his heart. <laughs> I love this about the High Republic. Like, it is not afraid to go all mushy and sentimental with the romance and shit. And I'm just like, little lines like this. I'm like, yes, I love it so much. Because, I mean, it's corny as this may sound, and I'm going to out myself as this total softy, like, love is at the heart of Star Wars. It's why Anakin fell to the dark side was because of his love for Padme. It's, it's why Luke wanted to save Anakin. It's because his love for his father and why Luke fought so hard against Vader. It's because he loved Leia. It's such a theme that I think it was not lost, but maybe like it's always been there, but just maybe it's been a little bit more buried under the surface underneath like other themes and big ideas that Star Wars has always been about. But at the core of it, like it's always been about love, like why people do what they do. And I mean, Joss and Pika, like that was just the cutest thing in the world. And I'm just like, oh my God, he loves his wife so much. Why am I so soft about this? Like why, why should this be such an anomaly for me as a reader? Like, I loved it. I don't know. I get really worked up about High Republic romance. It's very, it's very cute. I hear there, uh, th there is some romance. You know, there were some hints at Jedi romance earlier, which I have not, you know, discovered yet. But apparently, there, there's something going on with the Jedi and uh, and their love lives. So I will be interested to see what those hints are, are about. But you know, you're right that love is kind of in. It might not be like the picture of Star Wars, but it's like part of the frame that Star Wars is is built on. You, oh, you know, said and, that and... so much better than I did. <laughs> but I had time to think about that while you were talking. Well, I was struggling. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. <laughs> uh, you know, while he loves his wife a lot, I I do just want to note that uh, he kind of he kind of dunks on himself. You know, where he's saying that you know he's very lucky to be with her and how she sees the good qualities in him. And then he's saying that like his looks are not one of those qualities. He he literally thinks that oh. he quote looked like an engine block with a head stuck on top, with hair he kept cropped tight to his skull, so he never had to think about it. And I'm just like, his self confidence doesn't seem too high. Like you're gonna need to be confident in yourself for this mission, <laughs> but you're just over here dunking on yourself. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, that's so cute, but also no. Come on, man. You can you just like put it. It's okay to smile. It's, it's all, right. all good. You, you look great. You look great. <laughs> we find out that they are in the long beam that we read about earlier that was accompanying the three Jedi vectors uh, with Master Tayami. And he starts to, you know, Joss is starting to weigh his options in this situation because they have to think of a solution pretty quick. And he's thinking about, you know, what the long beam had at its disposal and what the Jedi might be able to do to help. And, you know, with the long beam, he kind of notes the mag clamps. But with the Jedi, I thought it was kind of a neat moment where we perceive the Jedi and what they can do and kind of the mystery behind them. Because, you know, not everyone is very familiar with exactly like what their abilities are. You know, they they refer to them many times in this chapter as space wizards, you know, because it is kind of like magic, you know. But we see this through the eyes 
of a civilian. You know, he's thinking that they can use their laser swords, uh, they can jump high and run fast. You know, they could stand around and look cool, which I was like, that's by far the best quality. You know, being able to stand around and look cool as a Jedi, <laughs> and then that they could move things with their mind, and that is the thing that kind of gets his attention. But I thought that was really interesting to hear these descriptions like, hang on, what can they do? Like through the eyes of a commoner when it's like, we we obviously have seen, you know, shows and movies and stuff that are centered like specifically on the Jedi, but then being able to kind of see them through the eyes of, you know, kind of a commoner, it was just a, it was a neat little paragraph as Joss was kind of determining what has he seen or heard about them that could be useful in this situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And again, I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna step it back another chapter because we see just like when from Bell's perspective when Loden's like, "Hey, open this gate," he doesn't have to do anything except say that wearing Jedi robes, and they listen to him. And that might be the more mm, not negative side of the Jedi, but kind of the more mythic side the ones that people whisper about and tell stories about in in the Mm. outer rim and then this side's more of like you said from like the commoner side somebody that's probably seen the jedi around a little bit more because it sounds like he kind of works for the republic in some capacity and just kind of like okay how can they be useful to this situation as opposed to threatening or a danger to the situation or change the situation in a different way? And I, I really like that because, I mean, the Jedi are the cool guys don't look at explosions. Jedi just stand and look cool. So, I mean, you've got many talents and that is not one of mine. So mad respect to the Jedi. But yeah, I really like that. And I kind of liked the idea of how Joss was kind of looking at the Jedi's abilities as kind of part of his toolbox and I think he again kind of go back to a previous comment we made like he doesn't give himself enough credit for thinking in that way because most people would be like well it's the Jedi they've got to come up with the solution themselves but instead he's like how can I utilize what I have and they have and make this work exactly you know this is they do have to work as you know a team here where the Jedi alone are not going to be able to handle this and he probably you know, he he knows that they can do great things, but that they're going to have to work together. You know, his ship has these, the mag clamps, the resources to make this stuff happen. So it has to be a team effort here where, yeah, this isn't a situation that the Jedi are going to be able to, you know, snap their fingers and, and fix everything. And, you know, we do have to give some credit to Joss for thinking about this, you know, the the larger situation. You know, what, what can they do? What can I do? How can that work together? Mm-hmm. And so he does consider these mag clamps and how they could latch onto the object and gradually slow it down by increasing the tension on the on the cords that they fire the mag clamps on. And, you know, basically there's a problem that the clamps aren't good for precision work. You know, that they're going to need a way to slow the object down in order to make that shot, which is where the Jedi would come into play. And so he does contact Master Tiami here and he thinks this to himself that, you know, he he calls her, refers to her both, you know, by word and also in his thoughts as Master Tiami, but he's not sure if she actually is a master. And, you know, because he's not sure, he just refers to every Jedi as master anyway. And I thought to myself, you know, Anakin would really appreciate that, you know, like someone just referring to him by default as master. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my God. I love that. I just my oh, I love that. And I love in kind of a little bit further down in that chapter when he's like, Hey, you know how you can move things with your mind? And there's just like this pause in and I just love Master Taomi. And she's like, We use our connection to the force, but yes, I know what you mean. Like she's like so uncivilized. I could just see in her head be like, This is not technically what it's called, but this is what but sure, yeah, we can do that. We'll go with that. I mean, how else do you, I mean, if for somebody who doesn't really understand the force or just kind of hears it, something magical and mystic about it from this magic space wizard, like that's about the best way you can describe it is they move things with their mind. It's a magic trick. Exactly. So yeah, again, it just, it just highlights that difference between what we know of the Jedi and how they utilize the force and then just how, everyone else in the galaxy probably sees the Jedi. And from and again, from the sounds of it, Joss and Pika have had some interactions with the Jedi before. So it, it's funny that even though they have that familiarity, they're like, yeah, they, they're magic space wizards. 
exactly like you, what you're saying is that how like you see it happening you know they can move these objects but you know how do you explain that you know other than like it's it's got to be some kind of magic like that's that you know that's what it that seems like and you know i thought it was you know it seemed like kind of a throwaway line here where you know tiami says you know i see where you're going with this captain but we're not gods we can't just stop that thing cold and i was thinking you know to the average person you know, they might kind of be considered as kind of godlike, especially if someone did not have any idea about what the Jedi could do. And then all of a sudden, you know, they use the force in, in whichever ways, you know, it's kind of a throwaway line. But at the same time, I got to think that there are people out there who might kind of hold them on God level mm-hmm. uh, in in some ways. It's just, again, seeing the Jedi through the lens of the everyday person which is, it's just been fascinating to kind of unpack that in small ways in this chapter. And we do have this new spot of tension, you know, as if things, you know, as if we didn't need any more tension here, where Joss adds, you know, if the Jedi could hold the fragments of this object together when the mag clamps attach, and basically they don't know how fragile it is. You know, it's literally this kind of burning piece of metal or whatever that's you know flying through space they don't know if it's going to shatter or come apart when the clamps make contact or if the clamps make contact and at this moment you know i i want this idea to work but i also can't really trust charles soul from the way he's kind of torn our hearts apart just pages into the book so like I'm kind of dreading this where I can see it not ending well just because he's put the possibility out there like, oh, it could shatter. So let's make sure, you know, that you can hold it together. And now that I'm thinking that just because that's been said, I'm just hoping that Charles Soule is not going to make good on that because I really want this this plan to work. For anybody listening to this, you can't see my face. I'm just holding it together as much as I can. I was I was sworn to secrecy. Yeah, (laughs) you swore an oath. (laughs) Which I appreciate, but I thought it was, you know, kind of uh, audacious of Tayami to, she kind of questions him where she asks if this is the best idea that they have. And as far as I know, literally four Jedi haven't offered any solution so far. And there she is being like, is this the best you've got? I'm like, well, bro, if you have anything to say, you could say it. It just, it seemed like, you know, kind of, uh, kind of bold of her to question him where he's the one throwing out these solutions, like brainstorming. Again, I don't know what's going on in the Jedi's minds, but for her to question, like, is this the best you got? You know, it just seemed kind of off. Mm -hmm. Cause like, as far as Joss and Pika know, or as far as things have gone, the four Jedi with them haven't really offered any kind of insight as to how to stop this. So I was like, did you have to kind of try to put him on blast like that? <laughs> and he's like, this is all I got. Like, take it or leave it. Okay, let's go. Yeah, that's all they can really do. You know, the situation, it's, you know, what they can think of as the best thing to do. Like, they have to act now. Mm-hmm. And as the chapter ends, you know, Pika is saying that she doesn't uh, think the Jedi seem very excited about this. And Joss says, quote, they'll be excited about it when it works. And I'm like, is there, are those some famous last words there? Like, like just, beca- just because he's confident that it's going to work here, or at least putting a, up that air, <laughs> I'm going to put this out there. I don't think it's going to work. And that's how the chapter ends. And I, I think that's how, ch- I think that would be within Charles Soule's wheelhouse here to be like, all right, you know, they tried, but they the failed. physics <laughs> was stronger than the force. Yeah. So that is how chapter 10 ends. Do you have any closing thoughts before we move on to 11? Just that I'm excited for you to see how this goes, for better or for worse. I'm predicting for worse, but I really hope that Joss and Pigga can prove me wrong because I need I need some kind of hope. You know, there's, there is the hope of the solution, but it's not going to be easy. And yeah, I guess judging by how things go in kind of the rest of this chapter, or I guess the, the next chapter, I have every reason to believe that uh, it's not going to be smooth sailing. But I am I got my fingers crossed, Joss and Pika, you know, they, <laughs> I hope they come through. But I can give my summary for chapter 11, and we can talk about that one. Just off of Hetzel Prime, four vessels, two passenger liners and two cargo freighters, make their way to safety from the destruction below. Flying in single file so as to help each other quickly if needed, the ships carry 3,500 beings desperate to get to safety. 
uncertainty reigns too, as the passengers know nothing of how the Jedi are helping in the system and are doubtful if they will ever be able to return to their ravaged homeland. Suddenly, all hopes of returning home one day are snuffed out, as an object appears out of hyperspace right in the path of the four ships, obliterating them in less than a blink of an eye. Master Avar Chris senses the sudden loss of life as well as a troubling note in the Force. As she discovers, the Force is trying to point her to something that she hasn't yet sensed. Uh, I'm just going to open the floor to you because even just reading that summary, uh, I can't. I can't. It's so much. It's such a short chapter. Like, it's barely two pages. And there's just so much in it. And. I'm just like, like, again, we're just, yeah, like 10 minutes have passed since the last chapter. So like solutions need to be had. And Avar Chris is still meditating. I'm like, let's go, girl. Come on. Let's find it. Like, what are we doing? Like, let's, let's go. The Jedi stress me out. I'm not going to lie. Like the Jedi, like be it High Republic, prequel, sequels, original trilogy. The Jedi just stress me out a lot. Because there are a lot of people who just sit there and meditate, and I know they're doing it for a reason, especially like with Avar because of her particular abilities. But I'm that kind of person who's like, like, what are we doing? Like, let's let's get moving. Let's go. Let's go. Like, why are you just sitting there? Like, she's like the dog meme where it's like everything's on fire, and she's like, this is fine, and then everything else is just like running around on fire, screaming. And I'm like, we need people like that, but I am not that person. I kind of thought of one of the gripes that Qui-Gon had with the council where, you know, a lot of the times they would um, be sitting around kind of debating issues rather than acting. And I know this is different, you know, kind of Chris is meditating and kind of listening to the kind of the the rhythm and the melody of the force. So there is, there is like a purpose Mm -hmm. there, but it kind of reminded me of what you spoke of there, the kind of the gulf between, all right, we need action. Like we need to act Mm -hmm. now and then also those who uh, either sit and debate in their council chamber or where to the eyes of, I guess, the bridge crew of the Third Horizon, you know, Chris is there with her eyes closed, you know, meditating, where when there is destruction raining down on Hetzal Prime, just that gulf between those who are out there getting things done. And again, I don't like I know that there is a purpose behind Chris, but I also had something in my notes for later where, you know, I do share some of your what you mm-hmm. were saying, uh, but just that that gulf was interesting to to think about where we on one hand we do have the Lodins and the bells who are out there you know engaging with the marauders and trying to you know get people to safety aboard you know ships and all that and then there's the likes of chris who are doing a different function a different job you know even if that means meditating on a bridge so no i'm completely with you and i love i love that qui-gon quote because i don't know if you've seen any of this discourse but it's always been kind of compared that like qui-gon Jin was maybe like one of the last of the high republic jedi just in the way like he kind of thought about things and did things just based off of your kind of a uh, 12 chapter experience so far with the jedi and i agree with it to some degree but also the point that you made about how like some sit there and meditate because of their particular skills but also you have the again the Lodens and Bells who are more adventure driven and whatnot. Yeah. Something that always that always just kind of threw me just a little bit, like especially when I started reading this, uh, again was when she's talking about she listened again for the bad note and then people died. And this was after um a piece of the legacy run crashed into the ocean and just basically created this giant tsunami and it said people died. But hundreds, not thousands or millions, as the farms were mostly automated and droid managed. Perhaps more would be lost when the waves hit the coast, but it all could be worse, much worse. The way it's kind of looked at, I'm like, hundreds, millions, thousands, it doesn't matter. Like, people died. And it's interesting to me. Like, it, it shows that she does care. Like, she did feel it through the forest. Like, there's descriptions that indicate, like, she does care about what happened and stuff. But... Avar Chris is very much a big picture person from what we can see. And again, especially with her abilities where she's connected to everything within the force. It just always interests me when I see kind of like little bits and pieces of whether intentional or not, like the prequel trilogy Jedi kind of scattered throughout this. And it's, and I think 
it goes back to your comment about like the Jedi Council and like how they would debate and manage. Like they were looking at this huge picture and not necessarily at maybe the here and now that maybe like a Jedi like Qui-Gon was focused on or like Bell or Loden. Because with the Jedi, it's always about balance. You can look at the big picture, but also what can you do in this moment? And I think sometimes different Jedi throughout both the High Republic and throughout the saga, I think both have strengths and weaknesses in either looking at the big picture or the immediate here and now. And it's very hard to find a character who kind of strikes that particular balance. Yeah, there definitely seems to be kind of an either mm-hmm. or, which I guess in this situation is, you know, there are a lot of Jedi here working on this, uh, on finding these solutions where you have like the Chris's who are the bigger picture, and then maybe there are others here. I don't, I don't necessarily know the philosophies of Loden or Bell uh, or Tiami and, and her companions, um, but I'm hoping that there would be kind of a balance because there was a, a point in an earlier chapter where Master Chris was talking about kind of the suffering, you know, if whether it's... I guess everyone who had kind of died so far that she could sense, she kind of referred to it as, you know, it's like no more than the average amount of death that kind of any system under, you know, duress would experience. And I was thinking like, I, that didn't sit well with me. It's like, should we really be thinking about this? Like, oh, it's not, you know, it's it's around average. Like, you know, what you're saying that even if it's hundreds of people who are dying, that's already hundreds too many, you know, that still counts. Uh, yeah, and we have seen different people so far kind of say that if we save one life, then that is a success. You know, that's even that's one life that we can make a difference for. So I'm, I am hoping that there is a balance in the philosophies of the Jedi uh, that are present. But I do want to talk about the pain that the chapter begins with, you know, where we find out that the four vessels carrying these 3,500 people are flying away in single file. And literally in my notes, before I had even read what happens on the next page, I wrote like, because I think the the logic behind flying in single file was that they could help each other if they needed to pretty quickly. And in my notes, I had written, quote, or to all die together, I'm nervous. And oh, no. uh, I, I wish that I, oh, no. <laughs> I wish that I wasn't right. <laughs> because, you know, they, they're they're thinking that they're out of the danger zone and you know they're wondering what's in store next and thinking that they might not be able to return and literally the next line quote this turned out to be true and you know we read about how this object appears out of hyperspace and pretty much skewers the ships leaving them all in just this ball of fire and shredded metal and just all caps are like jesus christ charles <laughs> like oh my god I was like, uh, it's if we needed a reminder of how bad this is, like I was I literally had to close the book and kind of just like put my head in my hand. Like I just I I was just I entered sad boy mode. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Oh my god. Again, it uh, eleven freaking chapters in and just the shock after shock keeps coming. You're like holy crap, this is worse than a John Wick movie. Just people are dying left and right. Like, what? Like, what is happening here? And because it's, we haven't seen something like that in Star Wars for a very long time where people are like, yep, people are going to die. Here we go. I'm not, continually not ready for just any of this no. disaster to keep happening. Because it's like we come in, we come into this book called Light of the Jedi and you even have this beautiful cover that's like hopeful and heroic and then death. So much death. Like where's the light? Like I'm looking, I'm de- I just I'm not able to find it yet. You oh, know, where's the light? Oh, exactly. The <laughs> and it's you're like this is misleading. I'm going to sue for emotional damage. Not really because I love you all. Just yep. disclaimer. Nope. <laughs> We don't mean it, but we still, we still hurt. hurt. Just balls of pain constantly. <laughs> balls of pain, and as Charles writes, balls of fire oh as well. So <laughs> there is this new element of intrigue here, as you know, she's listening to the Force, and I kind of wrote in my notes, listening to her Spotify playlist on the Force, because she treats it as music. You know, the melody of of the Force and these musical notes, and she is, you know, as she puts it, she senses kind of this this bad note in the melody. And it seems like she's somewhat, you know, on one hand, she's kind of somewhat being overwhelmed with all that's happening at once in the system and that she's not able to find out what seems to be wrong here. Quote, she was pushing, trying to make the force reveal the answer to her. That was not the way. 
She needed to pull back, not shove forward, let the force give her what it willed in its own time. And this is where I agree with what you're saying earlier, where it's like, okay, that's that's good and all, but like the force is kind of taking its time here, where it's like, ah, oh, you know, where people are dying. You know, 3,500 people just got obliterated in in a millisecond here. And she's like, well, it'll it'll tell me in time. I'm just that part of me was just a little bit frustrated here, where it's like, I see where you're coming from, but at the same time, it's like there needs to be some kind of action here where part of me is thinking there's a time to listen and meditate and there's there's a time to to try to get something done here it just i see where she's coming from but at the same time it's the force is it's taking yeah, its time yeah no that the force is like that person that you text and then like 2 hours later they reply you're like 2 days later <laughs> god come on i needed an answer like 3 days ago like what are you doing this is why i would make a terrible jedi full disclosure like i am just like no patience whatsoever. I'm like, let's go force. Like, what are we doing here? You could be a good um, Republic commando. I think I would It'd be good. I'm a little too short though. A little, little short for a stormtrooper. A little short for a, a clone short. trooper. That's neither here nor there. Though they don't exist yet. <laughs> yet, yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> There's no height limits or requirements. <laughs> and she comes to realize here that the system is seemingly out of balance, despite the efforts of the Jedi. Not because of a bad note here, but she realized that it's rather a missing note. She thinks, quote, There was a hole, right in the middle of her awareness. Something she was not hearing. Something the Force was trying to point out to her. And I'm wondering here, because that is that is how the chapter ends, where she's trying to now renewedly listen and to see what she's missing here. And on one hand, I'm thinking, is there an opposite force like working against Chris here? Something that's like intentionally creating this gap in her awareness? And I guess on the other hand, I'm thinking if this has something to do with the countdown, where, you know, 35 minutes, you know, 30 minutes to impact, where, you know, she's thinking to herself, you know, even when the hyperspace fragments are now hitting the surface of Hetzel Prime, she notes that, and you had mentioned this earlier. It's no worse than the other pain she was hearing throughout the Force. So I've kind of got a feeling that it might be what the countdown is at the start of the chapters. Like that's something that has not yet been accounted for, but something that's coming that she hasn't seen yet in the Force. And I'm thinking maybe it's something, you know, if if the death and destruction she has felt so far is kind of normal compared to the other death in the system, if there's something massive on its way. And I wonder, I guess the last note that I had was if that is what, if kind of what's creating this this gap in her awareness, if there is something big that's coming, if that's what Captain Hayda in chapter one had avoided in the hyperspace lane. And I just have a lot of questions, but that's my that's my guess that what she is missing right now has something to do with the countdown of of whatever will be impacting. But I just, yeah, there are just a lot of questions and I'm even more nervous than before. <laughs> I'm just going to say, moving on to chapter 12. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know <laughs> we, you don't know that you think you know that we all know that you don't know. Yep, <laughs> pretty much. That That is my best guess, that it has something to do now, that, that hole in her awareness might be filled by whatever object, if there is a massive object coming yet. So we, we will see. That is, that is my prediction, that it has something to do with that countdown. But, you know, with moving on to Chapter 12, I can give that summary, and then we can talk about Captain Bright and the efforts aboard the Aurora 9. Approaching the damaged solar array, Captain Bright and his crew prepare to search for any survivors amidst the wreckage. Despite the array being highly unstable, Bright successfully docks the Aurora 9 to the station. He, Petty Officer Inamin, and Ensign Peoples split up to cover as much ground as possible, calling out for any survivors through the billowing flames and the thick smoke within the array. Captain Bright finds two crew members and gets their droid to accompany them back to the Longbeam, and Ensign Peoples finds a survivor as well. However, Petty Officer Inamin discovered that the main reactor is highly damaged and could explode at any moment. Knowing they still had a job to do, 
Captain Bright asks if Inamin could repair it enough to buy them more time. The petty officer resolves to do what he can, and the rescue mission continues, albeit more uncertain and dangerous than ever. So, you know, we're back with the crew of the Aurora 9, Ensign Peoples, uh, as I had spoken in the last episode, or I guess two episodes ago, is my I boy. Uh, <laughs> I, I love him. I don't want anything bad to happen to him, which is putting him in harm's <laughs> way just by me thinking that. But, but uh, yeah, what did you think about Chapter 12 and them, you know, really just amidst the, you know, I guess uh, as a as a firefighter, uh, you know, amidst the flames and the, and the billowing smoke and all that, you know, saving whoever they can. What did you think about chapter 12 and and their efforts here on the solar array? So I'm going to move towards the end of the chapter and kind of work my way back with this. And if this is something that's been discussed before, tell me, but I, the line that is repeated throughout, again, even in the first 12 chapters, we are all the Republic. Just it both, fills my heart with good feelings, but it also gives me just very mixed emotions because it is, I love the unity and teamwork, just like we talked about in chapter 10 that is happening between everybody throughout this chaos and in these horrible events. And it's just such a good, simple mantra. And I think it really is encapsulated really well in like Captain Bright and in Peoples and just the work that they're doing to save these people that to a degree that they've just, they just showed up to rescue. And, and again, yeah, with it coming now from a different perspective with my career change and what like that, it's, it's a pretty accurate mindset. Like it, you're showing up, they're showing up on these people's worst day. I show up on people's worst day and just do what I can with my team, the we are all the Republic, where that kind of comes into play. Because when it comes down to it, everyone's the same. They're all part of this galaxy. We're all part of this world. Like They're giving their all to these people and trying to think of all of these solutions and just and, and trying to make it as best as they can in the midst of a terrible situation. So yeah, I think coming into that with that particular perspective was really interesting. And just and just kind of thinking about that line, we are all the Republic. I mean, it's kind of been constant throughout, maybe in a subtle way in Chapter 11, but, you know, in 10, when you were talking about the everyday volunteers working with the Jedi, kind of that unity there, you know, everyone working together, and then here with a reminder of, you know, we're all the Republic, and then... I guess with Avar Chris, you know, being connected literally to every being in the system right now, kind of that connectivity, it's just, it's a running theme and has been throughout this book. You know, We Are the Republic has been a recurring mantra. You know, it is the mantra of Chancellor So's Republic from, from what I've gathered so far. And, you know, here it is just comforting, even amidst the destruction and the chaos around, to hear that resolve being repeated, where... It's not an easy situation at all, but they take comfort in, you know, we are in this together. We are all the Republic. So it is a a momentary comfort before we learn about the added threat of the main reactor. But, you know, before we get there, we do start with, you know, some finally some good news, you know, as Captain Wright is successfully able to, even if it's just successfully docking a ship, it's like... Honestly, anything can go wrong at any point. So the fact that he was able to do that and it's like, oh, yay, they didn't blow up and die like everyone else has. It's like, we'll we'll take our wins when we where we get them in this book. Yep. And Charles Soule is making sure that the uh, the wins are kind of rare. But, you know, I'll take even the small Mm -hmm. moments here. So they do split up aboard the array to cover as much ground as they can. And they also have this pill droid, which has apparently a lot of like extender arms packed into it, you know, to render any kind of aid or assistance, which I thought was, uh, was cool. I want to see it. Like if there's ever a picture of a pill droid, it just sounds like a cool, a cool little thing. So a cool little boy. And so when they enter the array, uh, we know that Peoples has a sense of humor. Maybe, you know, wrong wrong time, wrong place for some of his jokes, but, there, you know, there's a lot of burning inside the array and a lot of smoke and overheated metal, and he chimes in, quote, it stinks. Maybe the solar array had too much far-far for lunch. And I don't know what far-far is, but, like, you know, it's it's just so not the time for a, a joke like that, but I also appreciate it so much. <laughs> uh, it's a coping mechanism. I, I got you, Peoples. I get it. I get it. You got to have a dark sense yeah. of humor. It, I always thought Far Far was like the Brussels sprouts of Star Wars. 
Could be asparagus, Brussels sprouts, like it'll do oh, it. Oh, <laughs> Lord. Because I have that, yeah, because they have that like particular like metallic, like coppery smell sometimes, like if they're co- if they're not cooked right. Mm. I don't know. We could be completely wrong and it could be something like fruit. Who knows? Some horrible smelling fruit. They are above the fruited moon. Or no, that was that was the other chapter. Never mind. I'm just like <laughs> there is the fruited moon, but in I guess in, in head canon now, or at least this is canon now that far far are the Star Wars Brussels sprouts. So that is canon. Yes, I will take it. <laughs> that is my contribution to Star Wars canon. That I can live with that. Yes. Captain Bright does hear an answer for help, you know, when he's calling out amidst the smoke is, you know, as they're noting it's hard to see amidst, you know, even with their goggles and all that, the smoke is just too thick. The flames are too, you know, heavy for them to see properly. So they're really calling out, listening, moving forward if they don't hear anything. But he does find a survivor and an injured crew member along with uh, her. I think their names are Cherie uh, and Ven. And he calls for the Pilgeroid to help them back to the long beam. And, you know, we're that moment like, hey, you know, he found some survivors. They're they're going to get saved. It's all right. Petty officer in a mean contacts uh, the captain and says that they have another problem on their hands. So he had gone to check out the main reactor to see how things were there. And apparently it's severely damaged and unstable. And if they can't repair it, it'll explode any moment. So it's just like one thing after another. Like I just I literally reading that. I was dreading the next sentence or the next paragraph because I just would not be surprised if it did explode. Just like it could blow any moment, then just bang. Like I just would not be surprised at any at anymore. Oh man, I, I love how you're only twelve ha- chapters and you already have trust issues with this book. Like you're just like, yep, I have lost all hope. There's nothing here for that. But yeah, I, again, just the relentless pace of this book. Again, this chapter was four pages long. And you're like, well, now we've got like 10 other problems we've got to think about now. We've got victims. We've got the crew members that are searching. Now we've got this freaking reactor that's going to blow up, which if that blows up, we're going to have a whole other problem on our hands. And it's just like, oh, my God, how much chaos can we just pack into a chapter? It is just seemingly something new each time where it's like I wasn't even thinking about the main reactor. And then Charles Soule was like, hey, so what if the main reactor blew up? Like, what did you guys think about that? And it's like, <laughs> I just I'm not here for it. I just want them to be OK. I want this mission to go all right. But now I have trust issues. So or I guess I had trust issues even six pages into the book. So Inamin says that he'll try to repair it as best he can, even if it'll get them a few more minutes of time. You had mentioned earlier, um, Captain Bright and Inamin are saying, you know, we're all the Republic together. And then uh, Ensign Peoples chimes in, we're all dead if we don't finish searching the station. <laughs> like, And so I just, you know, there, there is a time for mantras, guys. And, you know, it's just, uh, I think Peoples has the right idea here where it's like, save the mantras for later. You know, we got to get this done now. I just appreciated that little chime in, like, that's cute and all, but we're all going to be dead and not able to say that anymore if we don't do our jobs. So just even those small moments of just Peoples adding that lighthearted, you know, humor in there i i appreciate because because it helps you know just take the foot off the gas pedal before you know diving into what's next yeah that's always it's always such a fine balance especially and that's something star wars has kind of always done fairly well is kind of doing all this tension and drama with like bits of well-timed humor i think one of the most recent ones i was thinking of outside of like the books and stuff is that whole echo joke from bad batch like that was just one of those unexpected little sparks of joy. And you're like, they were waiting for that. They did that right. And again, just throughout these first 12 chapters, there are those little moments and courtesy of people's. I want people's just to hang out with the Jedi and just make comments like, let's go. Like, let's do he, something. He needs to be on the bridge with Master Chris. Like, all right, all right. You know, there's time to meditate. Like, let's go. All right. <laughs> Everyone's going to be dead if you keep on just listening. Let's let's get something done. So. Oh, my God. No. Yeah. I need that to happen. And as the chapter is ending, the station is struck by an object, causing it to shudder. And, you know, Captain Bright almost falls down and all that. And I was totally prepared, you know, for them dying right there you know where it's like as soon as they say oh we're all the republic like let's do this and then an object hits the station i was like all right they're dead i guess but we're dead (laughs) it just is a kind of a glancing blow and the chapter ends with bright continuing his search for survivors and people's found one so there might be a few left 
and that is how the chapter ends. But, you know, as I had said before, we're not even, you know, we're 12 chapters in and there has not been a chance to catch our breath, you know, and, and somehow, somehow Charles is able to turn up the tension dial even more. Like there should be a limit, but he keeps pushing the limit. And, you know, we do have that renewed tension of the main reactor about to blow, hoping that Inamin can repair it with, you know, enough time to save. But that is the end of this chapter. That is the end of this episode. Hannah, do you have any closing thoughts on what we've talked about today? You know, the stakes could not be higher, but apparently they always can be when Charles Soule is writing the book. So do you have any any closing thoughts uh, today? I love how we can have these discussions about these three chapters. I think the longest one was four pages, and yet we're able to pull out so much from Charles's writing and just kind of the way he ratchets up more of the tension, the drama. We've got some of the humor. We've just got so much of what makes Star Wars Star Wars in these three chapters. And we're not even, I'm, I'm looking at my book now, we're not even a quarter of the way through the story. And I think it's a rare gift and a talent that somebody can do that and prompt these discussions and conversations and it's it's just fun. I really like it, and and I've loved going back to read these chapters and really reread this book now. After I've I've read all the way up to chapter twelve, and I'm like, well, now I guess I got to reread the book again. And just knowing what again what I do now about where this all is heading and kind of going back to where it all started, I'm interested to see what that's going to look like for you after all of this is said and done. So I, I, it's really the exciting. Knowing smile me. that you're giving me now is, uh, I, <laughs> I, know me no, I know nothing. <laughs> oh, but I, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking and, and, you know, talking with me about these chapters and also holding back the, the knowledge that you have and hearing me probably say my silly predictions and especially about, I guess the, the big thing in my mind now is what is that missing note that Chris is thinking about and, Again, I think it's. I think it has to do with that time to impact. I think there's something big coming. I don't know if it's going to strike the, you know, it might just strike through the whole planet. If if it is like that object that was in the hyperspace lane, I don't know how big that is, but I think there's something coming, and I, I'm not ready for it. But before we close up, Hannah, I'd mentioned a couple of your works uh, at the, you know, in the intro. If the listeners did want to find you on the internet and see, you know, what you're up to with Followers of the Force and with what you do on all the social medias, can you talk a little bit about that and tell them where they could uh, give you a follow if they wanted to? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me on. It was an absolute delight and a joy. And I'm glad we got to do this because I think you hit me up, what, three, three, four months ago. We were like, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, absolutely. And then you're like, do you remember this? And I'm like, Yes, I do. But no, it was an absolute delight getting to be able to talk about the High Republic, Light of the Jedi. And if anybody else wants to hear any of my opinions on any of this, and the most recent one was the discussion on Tempest Runner, uh, you can find me over at Followers of the Force. We have new episodes every Monday, as well as a happy hour every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. Depending on my work schedule, I may or may not be able to jump on, but I'm always available at Twitter and Instagram as Beskar underscore Kyber 15. That is where you can find me yelling about the High Republic, clones, which tend to be my favorite things to talk about in Star Wars, Mandalorians as well, and then just random things that bring me joy in the fandom and all the awesome people I've gotten to meet because of it. Yeah, listeners, I will post the links to Hannah's work and social medias in the episode description. Hannah, Thanks so much again. This was an awesome conversation, even, you know, commiserating our pain over what is happening in these chapters. But this was really great. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much. I can't wait for people to hear. Before we close out today, I'll give our next Search Your Readings discussion question. Aboard the Third Horizon, we see Avar Chris insisting on listening to what the Force is telling her about the missing note in her awareness in its own time. Meanwhile, however, hundreds and thousands of people are dying each moment amidst the chaos. Is this the right approach from Chris? Are some Jedi too passive? I'll post the question to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, comment and send your responses on any of those platforms, or you can send them via email to outerrimreadspod at gmail.com with the subject line, search your readings. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to follow Outer Rim Reads on social media to stay connected to the show, 
You can follow us on Twitter at Outer Rim Read Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at Outer Rim Reads Pod. If you'd like to support the show for as little as $3 a month, you can do so at patreon.com slash Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is hosted by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Connor Floyd, and it is produced by Andrew Geha as well as Simon Van Bakum. We will be back in two weeks with episode 45. So until then, sit back and enjoy. If that's even possible anymore, I'm just going to head over and chat with Joss and Pick over there. They seem wholesome enough.